What's up and welcome back to the Locked on Bucks podcast. I am James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find us over at thepewterplank.com or you can follow us on Twitter at thepewterplank, at Locked on Bucks, at jyarko underscore bucks, and at dh82 underscore bucks. We are coming off of a surprising 31 to 24 victory for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to close out the 2017 season as they defeat the NFC South champion New Orleans Saints. Thanks in large part to, I mean, honestly, David, one heck of a final drive there by Jameis Winston, 95 yards in under two minutes, hitting Chris Godwin for his first career touchdown. And what a perfect time for that to happen. So right out of the gate, David, I mean, kind of what's your, what are your immediate thoughts on the victory. Yeah, it was great the way that it went down, and it was it was awesome to see Chris Godwin get his first career touchdown. I've been kind of wondering if it was going to happen, and I've been really hoping for the young guy that he would get his first one before the end of the season. So, uh, what a what a more there's no there's no other perfect scenario for him to get his first touchdown catch, you know. And I'm sure he's been frustrated, and uh, you, you saw the play earlier in the game where where he got down to the goal line didn't. Quite Administration there, and you just tell the kid is just wanting to get that score, wanting to get that first touchdown out of the way. Uh, so for him to finally get it as in a game-winning scenario was was awesome. And and like you said, just cl- uh, clinching the game, closing it out. That's that's been the team's problem for most of the season. So to see them close out a game finally, and against a division rival who won, uh, end up winning the the division. You know, it just it, it gives you some a reason to hold on to for uh or, or something to hold on to for next season you know uh when we, when we enter 2018 yeah absolutely and i know some people on social media are, are getting mad because you know that victory knocked the buccaneers down from the number five overall draft pick to number seven i don't really think the two spots are going to make that big of a difference uh, the two teams that jumped in front of the Bucks are both in need of a quarterback, so it's a strong possibility that quarterback is the position that goes there. And I know everybody wants Bradley Chubb. I definitely want Bradley Chubb. And the only team in danger of of taking Chubb ahead of the Bucks, or not not the only, but the most likely, would be the Indianapolis Colts. But they're another team that has so many holes to fill that they may look to take an offensive lineman to protect Andrew Luck, and and Chubb will drop and. The draft is just such a funny thing that there's so many trades and so many moves and so many different things can happen that, you know, December 31st at at 9.30 p.m. is way too early to speculate as to what's going to happen in Arlington, Texas in April. So not worried about the draft position. It was great to see the Buccaneers end the season on a win, especially with the whirlwind of news and everything that's been going on. And, David, it was funny. You and I were talking the other day that we had said numerous times we were going to put off the coaching discussion be you know, out of respect for the staff that was here. And as soon as we have the coaching discussion, of course, the John Gruden thing blows up in our <laughs> face. You know, he, Adam Schefter is reporting tonight that he's going to go to the Oakland Raiders. It's just a matter of when, but the, the Raiders don't fire Jack Del Rio without knowing that they're going to get Gruden. Cutter's mm-hmm. going to get at least another season. So, I mean, it is what it is. It, it's it's just nice to go out on a on a high note instead of yet another just soul crushing loss. Yeah, if 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 Dirk Cutter's gonna stick around, which which you know, there's no reason to think that he's not, then 
you want to see wins. You know, you don't want to see more losses. Um, losses is, is is losses are the reason for getting us to the point where we were having coaching discussions in the first place. You know, so you you never want to see your team lose. I don't think, and I know in in some some fan universe out there, of course, you want better draft picks at the end of the year because you know you either you either won the Super Bowl trophy or you didn't. And once you don't, then having the the 31st pick in the NFL draft isn't all that sexy uh, compared to the the team that's got the first one. At the end of the day, you all achieved the same thing. You uh, didn't win the Super Bowl. So, you know, I have, I have zero problem with the team winning. That's what, that's what I want to see. I don't know. I'm never going to, I'm never going to be upset with the team winning. It's just in the, in these types of scenarios, the, if, if you need to, you can find a silver lining on everything that happens, you know, when the team lost to Carolina, when the team lost to Atlanta, Silver lining was we're getting better draft position. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Well, this week you don't get better draft positioning, but you get a win. And uh, that that definitely should should make everybody feel better, especially when you look at it. You know, this this team just got a win without Deshaun Jackson, without O.J. Howard. Dirk Cutter said in his post-game presser, you know, only two starting offensive linemen were on the field today. Um, Peyton Barber is a running back, which, you know, entering the season, I've I've liked Peyton Barber since he was at Auburn, but there's you know coming into the year there were people who were speculating would Peyton Barber even make the final roster, and here he is, week seventeen helping to to get the Bucks to a win. Um, yeah, so so no negatives in the defense. We all know about the defensive struggles, the injury struggles. There have been Vernon Hargraves has been out for like the last half of the year, uh, so on and so forth. You know, finding finding safeties, finding linebackers to play, find defensive linemen. Will Clark has has played more than anybody would have imagined he was going to play this year and and he had an impact you know he he was in on that tackle there against Will Lutz and and on that fourth on that fourth down uh, fake field goal try so Clark you know, tried to kill uh, Will Lutz yeah it was awesome it was a great hit uh great i mean great team effort great team football and they've been playing great team football for the last 3 weeks they just haven't been able to put it together and and that's what we've been saying is kind of the story with the season either you know a really horribly timed turnover or the the one drive the defense just doesn't look like they know what they're doing or the one time where the offense gets the ball in good position but can't do anything with it you know there's always just that kind of murphy's law happening with the buccaneers and tonight for the first time really all year we kind of saw the entire thing come together and it wasn't without its down moments you know but when it counted most in the clutch when it was time to prevent the saints from getting a big lead keeping the Buccaneers lead somewhat in control and allowing the Buccaneers offense a chance to come back and, and get the game winning score. You know, it, it all fell in line and even got a special team score out of it. So, I mean, th- this was a pretty complete game from, from a, a pretty beaten up roster emotionally and physically. So yeah, no negatives there. I can't, I can't be mad at the team for winning uh, whether I don't care if it's a fifth, uh, if, if Bradley Chubb ends up in Indianapolis Colt because of it, then so be it. You know, it's 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 not a concern. Yeah, well, and and you spoke about how there's no negatives, but that doesn't mean that that players aren't immune to criticism. And Jameis Winston, for as well as he's played since returning from his injury, Winston did not have that great of a game. He had one heck of a final drive, but overall, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't turn the ball over three times. And that's exactly what he did. Now, you could say that one of those interceptions could be on Mike Evans. It looked like he kind of gave up on a route. But there were some really bad decisions by Jameis in this game and some plays that 
probably should have resulted in an interception that didn't. But uh, yeah. Tom Bassinger of the Tampa Bay Times, a lot of people listen to him. Uh, he was on the What the Buck podcast last week. Uh, he so tweeted out how football in his own league, by the way. Did you end up winning that league? I did. Uh, I stopped paying attention after like week four. No, you didn't. You tried throughout and I beat you. No, I really didn't try throughout. I, I pretty much stopped paying attention. But people aren't listening to this for our fantasy football takes. Um, he had tweeted out, how improbable was this Bucks win? Besides Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston is the only quarterback this season to throw three interceptions in a game and still win. So despite the mistakes, despite the poor decisions, the defense, although they, they had a 20-17 to 17 lead in the fourth quarter and, and let New Orleans march right down the field and go up 24-20, to 20, um, or, yeah, that's right. Is it? Yes, that's yep, right. Just 24 to 20. Okay, yeah. So they were, the Bucs were up 20-17. to 17. The defense lets the Saints march right down the field, go up 24 to 20. And then when they needed a stop to give the offense just the slightest chance to be able to win this game, they were able to come up big. And when the, when the pressure was on, you know, it, I, it, is there a, a bigger pressure situation in a regular season game, I should say? Then fourth and 10 from your own five yard line with less than two minutes left and no timeouts. Because that's exactly what the Buccaneers faced. They converted, were able to march all the way down the field, and with 15 seconds left, just on the fringe of Pat Murray's field goal range. And, and Murray's been struggling, and I said it on Twitter. I think Derek Fournier of what the Buck is right. And I think Murray's been playing the past couple of weeks with an injury because the the strength in his leg just hasn't quite been there. He missed an extra point. But they were on the fringe of his field goal range, healthy or not, with no timeouts, 15 seconds. And instead of just trying to move into position to kick the field goal and get out of there, Cutter draws up a, a great play call, credit to him, and they hit Godwin on that deep pass, and Godwin is able to, to take it into the end zone. And then, of course, the two-point conversion to go up by the seven, and that was all she wrote. So, you know, I'll, I'll blame Jameis for the poor decisions throughout the game for at least two of the three interceptions, even though Evans broke off that route. It was still not a wise decision to throw that ball. There were still three receivers around Mike Evans at the time, and it just it wasn't a smart decision no matter how you look at it. But when it counted... He came up clutch, and you know that's the reason the Buccaneers fans get so excited about Jameis Winston is because we've seen him do this before. He does it again, and we expect to see him do it more and more and more into the future. Yeah, no, that's that's like like we were just talking about. I mean, everything finally came together. You know, they gave up that one drive. Uh, to to, for, to allow the Saints to take the lead back at twenty four twenty, and and it kind of had the feeling of okay, yeah, that's of course that's gonna that's gonna happen because this is how it's been all year. But then, like you said, they were able to hold the Saints from expanding that lead even more, allow the Buccaneers' offense a chance 
to come back and get this get the uh, get the lead again. And then I don't know, if, you know, they're not really going to give them credit there for the last quote unquote possession because the Saints really just kind of walked off the field at that point. But uh, it is what it is. But looking at the defense, I mean, honestly, the defense has been playing pretty well, you know, which is a little bit surprising considering what they're playing with as far as the pieces are and, and who was expected to be contributors to this defense and, and the fact that they're sitting out. Um, you know, Noah Spence is, is out. Or Robert Ayers hasn't been doing well. Chris Baker hasn't been doing well. Vernon Hargraves is hurt. Um, so it, it's just not, you know, the defense that everybody was looking, what what it looked like with the defense was going to be coming into the season is not what we just witnessed in week 17, yet they just held the Saints to 17 points. Um, because, you know, it's important to remember that that special teams, just like in Atlanta, uh, was it Atlanta or Carolina? I can't remember. I don't know. Whatever. Special teams touchdowns don't go against the defense. The defense wasn't on the field to give up that touchdown. So they just held the Saints to 17 points. And I just went back and looked through their season only one other time this year have the Saints been held to 17 points, and it was a loss again. So this is two weeks during the season where if you hold the Saints to 17 points, you're going to have a chance to beat them, which is exactly what the Buccaneers did. And no, James wasn't perfect. You know, like you said, there there's some downs this, to, the, to the game, uh, three interceptions. As far as the interceptions are concerned, I, I am going to respectfully disagree. I put the first one on Mike. I think there was definitely some traffic there, but – if you're Mike Evans and you're going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL, that's what you're expected to do. You're expected to come down with that stuff. That's the reason Antonio Brown gets balls thrown to him with two guys blanketing him and Odell Beckham Jr. will get balls thrown to him and in, in traffic and all that stuff. And, you know, that's those are the catches you're expected to make. And you're not expected to be the guy to cut his route short. And and Dirk Cutter, again, in his postgame press conference, said the exact same thing, that that Mike Evans pulled up on his route. And that's what led to the first interception, because if you look at the angle from where Mike Evans pulls up and where the ball gets delivered. Yes, there's defenders there, but it's a, a very makeable catch for Mike Evans in that scenario. Um, he's probably not going to get a whole lot of yak, but I mean, have we really looked at Mike Evans for a whole lot of yards after catch in his career to this point? No. You know, that's not really his thing. He's a, he's a grab the ball and, and get it type of guy. So that's what they needed him to do there. And he just, it happens. We're all, I mean, we're all human. Nobody's perfect. Uh, Jerry Rice didn't run every route perfectly, you know, so not not trying to take away from his accomplishments by any means. But, you know, that that interception definitely on on Mike. But as far as decision making, yeah, Jameis had some bad decisions today. There are definitely some other passes. There was one on the first drive of the game that where they actually ended up scoring touchdown. But there was a play on that first drive where I kind of like, whoa, dude, like what what were you just throwing at on that? play? I kind of wish I could see that over the shoulder camera angle that that one network has because I was kind of like, what did he see? That was crazy. And luckily and fortunately for our side, it didn't come down as an interception. So sometimes you win some, or sometimes when you gamble, you, you get, you get the payoff. Uh, that one in the end zone. I don't, I don't really blame Mike for that one. Um, like there's four defenders around him. I can't really ask an NFL receiver to go up in the end zone with four guys around, you know, you're getting flipped. You know, you're like, there's no, there's really no scenario where that comes down in a positive light, I don't think. Uh, so I'll, I'll stop short of blaming him on that one at least. But, yeah, I mean, we we did see uh, James Winston kind of spontaneously uh, revert back to some of his old bad habits. But we also saw James Winston do a lot of good things. I mean, he threw the ball away today more times than I think I've ever seen him throw the ball away. I don't know if anybody keeps those stats. I don't know if, like, Greg Allman would be able to figure that out for us. But, like, mm-hmm. 
I just remember thinking at one point in the third quarter, I'm like, man, he's really throwing the ball away a lot today, and and I like it. Like there was a screen pass where uh, I don't know, I think it was in the third quarter. They tried to set up a screen to Peyton Barber. It was blown up. You know, the Saints saw it coming. They had it defended perfectly. They had pressure on Winston, and they had the guy covered. And I was like, oh man, this is about to get really ugly because I was just waiting for that floater to come out and waiting for some you know Saints defender to come down the ball and just run it the other way. And instead, Jameis stopped in his tracks and threw it at Peyton Barber's feet. I was like, beautiful. Amazing. That's exactly what you should do in that scenario. So as much as he did revert back on a couple places at a couple times, he also has been making smarter decisions over the last three weeks, including this week, even though he finished closer to 50% uh, in the completion percentage than, than he has in the last two weeks. So some good with some bad. But at the end of the day, I mean, Jameis Winston is always going to be that guy. And you saw the you saw the interaction I had on Twitter with with one of the people, uh, with one of the Bucks fans watching the game, where you know he was kind of he was kind of expressing that if Jameis Winston at this point in his career hasn't figured out not to throw balls like that interception he did in the end zone, then there's no hope for him to learn that lesson for the future. And, and I responded with that's not necessarily true. And what I mean by that is you look at a guy like Brett Favre, who I've compared Jameis Winston to a lot since he's joined the Buccaneers, because I think they have a very similar mentality and a very similar skill set. Brett Favre to his very last throw as a Minnesota Viking against the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs, across his body, across the field, into coverage, dumb throw, stupid throw, Hall of Fame quarterback, right? That's always going to be who Brett Favre was. was. And that's always going to be who James Winston is. James Winston is always going to think he can throw across his body, across his field, the field, into defenders and make the completion because that's just who he is. So true in that aspect. However, Brett Favre got the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game. So in order to do that, he has to be making smart decisions most of the time. Of course, the time where he doesn't and it turns out to be a loss, it kills you, it kills your spirit, and you're just like, damn it, why can't you be just a little bit smarter? But you got you can't get the greatness that is Jameis Winston without some of the headaches. Yeah, I uh, I agree completely. You know, that's just – he's a gunslinger. You know, we throw that term around and it can be it can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, people call Jay Cutler a gunslinger. That's not necessarily a good thing in that case. But as you brought up Brett Favre, he was a quote unquote gunslinger. And most of the time it worked out pretty well. Yeah. And if somebody wants to point to the fact that in all these years that Brett Favre was, you know, Brett Favre, they only won one Super Bowl. Well, Jameis Winston plays for this team for the next 15 years and they win one Super Bowl, I'm still happy because that's another Super Bowl. You know, only one team can win it every year. The chances that your team is going to win the Super Bowl every year are slim to none. It just doesn't happen. And yeah, we've we've seen the way that the Patriots organization has been over the better part of the last 15 years, but that's the exception, not the rule. You know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers are revered as one of the most successful teams in NFL history. And they've won six championships in, what, 50-plus years? I mean, those are not good odds. So if Winston's decision-making and his gunslinger mentality and his confidence that he can fit a ball anywhere, any place, any time, eventually leads to one Super Bowl championship, I'm a happy guy. I'll take that any day of the week. I'll tell you one thing, though, real quick. I feel a little bad for Jameis 
because Jameis missed three games with the shoulder injury, correct? Mm-hmm. And then he left the game against the Saints in the first matchup, and that was in, what, the first quarter? He uh, left the game. The first, second quarter. Yeah, he left the game against the Arizona Cardinals Oops. at halftime. So all in all, he's missed four-plus games total this season. He finishes 496 yards shy of 4,000 yards, but he still finished with the eighth-most passing yards in a single season in team history. So all three seasons that Jameis Winston has been a Buccaneer, he has posted a top-10 passing yard season. Move on to all-time in the NFL, most passing yards by a player in his first three seasons. He ends up 1,321 yards shy of Andrew Luck's record. I don't think he would have gotten that in those four additional games. However, he would have reached Peyton Manning's number two ranking, I believe, where he is about... 650 yards behind him. And the way he was playing these past couple weeks, he'd have gotten that in two games. So, you know, Jameis closing in on more and more milestones. Um, you can spin that any way you want. At the end of the day, he's he's sharing some pretty impressive company on the passing yards in the first three seasons list, as well as passing touchdowns in the first three seasons. I mean, there's some impressive names on this list outside of Blake Bortles. How did Blake Bortles have 69 touchdowns in his first three seasons? <laughs> How did that Blake happen? Blake Bortles actually was, he was looking like a pretty good, pretty good thing there for a while. And he still has his moments. Yikes. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of stats, right? Okay. So just because we know it's coming, like we all know it's coming. So the Tennessee Titans made oh, the AFC playoffs. So congratulations to the Tennessee Titans and to DeMarco Murray and to Eric Decker and, and all those guys, right? And Mariota. Don't leave Marcus Mariota. Mariota. Well, listen, okay. Jameis Winston has outperformed Marcus Mariota in pretty much every every single facet of the game, other than running, obviously, because Marcus Mariota is a runner. I mean, Marcus Mariota, the season alone, had almost twice the amount of rushes that Jameis Winston had. But if you if you look at if you look at what Marcus Mariota is doing, so Marcus, Mar- Marcus Mariota has two rushing touchdowns this or no five rushing touchdowns. Sorry, this season, right? So give him that. Fine, got it. Jameis Winston doesn't have any. Marcus Mariota has 50 carries this season. Jameis Winston only has 28, not counting what he did today. So I haven't added those totals. So how many How many do you think he had today? Probably about three, right? If, if memory serves right. So maybe he's got like 30, 31 carries on the season. Fantastic. But this is a quarterback, okay? And you're, you're not going to win with a quarterback who has to rely on running. So look at, you look at your Tim Tebow's, right? Michael Vick didn't have to rely on running. Michael Vick was a guy who could throw the ball but he could also kill you with his running ability. Um, you look at Robert Griffin III, as soon as he lost his ability to run, what was left? There really wasn't a whole lot left, right? So you're not going to win with a guy that you're just you're looking at and say, oh, well, he's a really good runner out of the pocket. Well, that's that's fantastic. That's not going to get you to where you need to be uh, by, by himself. 
But Marcus Mariota played in two more games this season than James Winston did. So including today's game, he played in 15. Now coming into today's game, because the stats haven't updated, but coming into tonight's, this week's matchups, Marcus Mariota had almost a full 100 yards less throwing the ball than James Winston in two more complete games. Okay. Now, he also only had 12 touchdown passes compared to James Winston's 18. And he had 15 interceptions thrown compared to James Winston's eight. All right. Now, today in Tennessee's game, Marcus Mariota threw for less than 150 yards. And did he have a touchdown? I just closed the screen. Pull it back up real quick. He had one touchdown throw. All right. James Winston had over 300 yards and another touchdown. So with two full games fewer to play, and, and mind you, now I don't know which games, because I know Marcus was hurt a little bit this year too, um, but out of those 12 games, one of those is Arizona and one of those is New Orleans. So those are game appearances. Those aren't complete games. Those are – so if you really want to look at it, James Winston played in 11 games this year when you, when you piece it all together, and two of those games were some pretty ugly losses, right? Um, Jameis is doing – a good job. Jameis is a 23-year-old quarterback who has a gunslinger mentality. We've covered all that. That is who Jameis Winston is. That is not a bad quarterback. That is not a, a quarterback who can't lead your franchise to solid things. Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston really are, are about as polar opposite as you get. Marcus Mariota is a guy who's going to make calculated plays and, and trust his eyes more than he trusts his heart, whereas Jameis Winston is going to see four defenders and Mike Evans and say, yep, I can make that pass. You know what I mean? So we're talking about two totally different quarterbacks, and the Titans aren't winning because of Marcus Mariota. They're winning in spite of Marcus Mariota. That doesn't mean Marcus Mariota is a bad quarterback necessarily. I don't really like him, Okay, like to be completely honest, get all the cards on the table. I don't think he's going to have this great you know, second overall pick career. That's going to line up with his draft stock. I think he's going to have a long career. I think he'll be in the NFL for for a good decade plus. But I don't think he's ever going to reach the heights of you know some of these other guys out here. And I believe James Winston can reach those heights. And his stats are, are showing that he at least has the makeup for it. While Marcus Mariota's stats are showing that he plays on a team that compensates for his inability to do some of the things that James Winston does. So yes, the Titans are in the playoffs, but I don't know, like. The Denver Nuggets can make the playoffs in the in, in the American in the uh, the uh, Eastern Conference in the NBA. That doesn't mean that they're they're good in the Western Conference. So I don't know if that makes sense. It it does, and and you're right. You know the the Titans surprisingly made the playoffs, but it wasn't because of anything that Mariota did. Mariota had a a really good season last year when he was healthy and he was playing. So did DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry as a two-headed monster. DeMarco Murray was a massive disappointment this season. Trust me, I had him on 75% of my fantasy leagues. He was not good. The other thing is the defense was it was competent enough to overcome the lack of offense. Eric Decker didn't have the impact that a lot of people thought he was going to. Corey Davis you know, missed some time. He didn't have any kind of explosive rookie season. And I've, I've mentioned it before. My, my lifelong best friend is a huge Titans fan. And he's been 
dogging Mariota all year long for the poor play and the you know ineffectiveness. And he had messaged me earlier today and he says, I don't even want them to make the playoffs. They're just going to get smoked next week in Kansas City. And he's not wrong. I mean, even though Kansas City's been struggling this year, you know, the Titans, I think you put it the best, David, in our in our group message. They are a team that made the playoffs, not a playoff team, just like the Miami Dolphins of last year. Yeah. Yeah, the, and that's the, exactly what the Dolphins proved they were this year. Yeah, exactly. You know, the AFC is not strong. No. And the Titans barely squeaked in. I mean, so. if you take the if you take the Tennessee Titans and you put them in the NFC North and you move the Bears to uh the AFC South, right? Yes. Um the Titans are not sniffing the playoffs. It's just not going to happen. Um, if you take the Buffalo Bills, as well as they've done this year, and they've actually got a fairly decent squad, but if you take the Buffalo Bills and you put them in the NFC South or you put them in the NFC uh, in the NFC East or the NFC West even, you know, if, if you know, if we're, while we're playing his games, let's pretend Jimmy Garoppolo started every game for the Niners, so they're 16-0. and 0. Uh, You know, they're, they're just they're – <laughs> They're not gonna. They're not doing what they're doing in the AFC. It's just. That's just how you know the New York Jets are not a. What did they win? Sixteen six games this year. They're not a six win team uh, in the NFC. It's just the the two conferences don't match up. You look at the NFC race and it's actually a race. You look at the AFC playoff race and honestly, I mean, it's the Steelers or it's the Patriots. Maybe the Chiefs if they get on a roll. You know, um, if everything just kind of gets clicking then maybe the Chiefs are kind of a dark horse, but nobody else is competing. In the NFC, you can you can make a case for every single team in the NFC playoff race. You can make a, you can make a case for the Panthers, for the Falcons, for the Saints. You can make one for the Rams, for the Vikings. You can make one for the Eagles. Uh, not with Nick Folk, so maybe, maybe toss them out of there. But the other five teams playing in the playoffs for the NFC have a valid shot at winning the Super Bowl. Uh, or at least representing their conference at the Super Bowl. In the AFC, you can't honestly tell me that you see any of these wild card teams making the Super Bowl in their current uh, construction. I can't. I will. I won't believe it. It's the parody of the NFL. We see it's it's cyclical. You know, for for a while, a few years ago, it was the Seattle Seahawks or the Green Bay Packers out of the NFC. They were the legit contenders. Everybody else was just trying to get in. And then in the AFC, you had the Steelers, you had the Patriots, you had the Broncos, you had the, um, yeah, you could make the argument that the Bengals were pretty consistent about at least getting in the postseason and and would have a chance. And now that that strength has shifted back to the NFC, it's just the cycle of the NFL. But at the end of the day, yeah, I mean the. The arguments are going to come up from the Jameis Winston haters that Marcus Mariota made it to the playoffs first. Okay, congratulations. whoop de doo Let me know if, you know, Mariota goes out there and has a 350-yard passing day with three touchdowns and beats the Chiefs in Arrowhead. You know, let's see him put the team on his back the way Jameis has had to do in Tampa and go out there and will them to a win rather than 
you know, the defense being the reason that they win. But it's an argument that's going to come up. It's a, it's a, like it or not, it's a fact that is going to come up. And I just wish that we could get rid of the, the freaking Jameis versus Marcus debates. They're going to be tied together for the rest of their careers as long as they're both still in the NFL. You know, Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf were tied to each other until Ryan Leaf, you know, disappeared from the league. Faded into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we know it's going to come up and it is what it is. I'm not too concerned about it because even as my Titans loving best friend uh, said, they're going to get crushed in Kansas city next week, which I think they will. Yeah. And I have no problem with James Winston being tied to Marcus Mariota for the rest of his career. I just wish, I just hope, right. Some people look at, look at the, the landscape of things. Don't just, just put, you know, a record into, into a bunny machine and blender and say, this is, this is all on the quarterback. Cause at the end of the day, this is a team sport. You know, I know the quarterback gets the credit and they get the blame. Got it. But you can't tell me the Tennessee Titans are going are gonna to come within a touchdown of beating all three NFC South playoff representatives because that's exactly what the Buccaneers just did. Set what one touchdown's worth of points and an extra point, Patrick Murray, was spread over the last three weeks, and the Buccaneers beat the Falcons, Panthers, and Saints. They already beat the Saints. They lost the Falcons by three. They lost the Panthers by three. You can't tell me the Tennessee Titans can face the Falcons, Panthers, and Saints three weeks in a row and come out with the same results. You know, got it one and two. It's fantastic. But if the if the Titans even go one and two, trust me, that lot more spread out than it is for what the Buccaneers just just accomplished over the last three weeks. And that's all I'm saying. And and you can't really honestly tell me that Marcus Mariota makes the Buccaneers any better than what Jameis Winston is doing now. But I, I can promise you I can find more Titans fans who would who would take Jameis Winston on their team uh versus Marcus Mariota. Uh, on the Buccaneers. Well, David, anything else in regards to uh, the victory over the Saints before we get out of here and let everybody enjoy their New Year's Day holiday and their their cabbage rolls and their bowl games? I don't know what a cabbage roll is, but yes. Um, you don't know what a way cabbage to start roll the new is? Season or the new year. I have no idea what a cabbage roll is. It sounds disgusting. But Are you kidding me right great now? Great way to start the new year. With this because this is our new year episode, right? No, no, so this is our did, January first, well, 2018 episode. So. Rewind. <laughs> we need to settle this like right now. You have honestly okay. never heard of a cabbage roll. No, I don't know what a cabbage roll is. That's like the traditional New Year's Day meal. You eat cabbage rolls I'm... and black eyed peas. Like that's the good luck I don't meal. Eat either of those. I don't I eat black eyed peas, but I will eat the the Jesus out of some cabbage rolls. Do you like meatloaf? I have zero. Yeah, I like meatloaf. Who doesn't okay. Like meatloaf? All a cabbage roll is, is it's meatloaf, like a little mini meatloaf wrapped mm-hmm. in a cabbage leaf. And then you cover it basically in like marinara and sauerkraut and put it in a crock pot and slow cook it for hours and hours and hours. Like that's that what good. That's what cabbage rolls are. And my mother-in-law, God bless her, makes the best cabbage rolls on earth. I hated cabbage rolls until I had hers. And so I am super stoked to be eating those while I watch bowl games 
But yeah, David, you got to get on this. Cabbage rolls, New Year's Day I'm every year. Eat chicken wings while I watch bowl games because that's my bowl game tradition. I'm I'm going to tweet your wife and tell her that you need to be introduced <laughs> to cabbage rolls on New Year's Day. Good luck I'll send you. I'll even send you a recipe. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah. back to you were saying that it was a great way to ring in. 2018. Yeah, it's a great way to ring in 2018. You know, we get we get to to go into the off season hopeful. You know, like I said, the the, the season didn't go the way any of us. That's that's easily said, but there is some some hope on the horizon from the last three games. And we were talking about before we start recording, the offense looked better. And uh, I haven't really gone through and studied it, studied it, but I mean, from from the play design, the play calling. I saw more levels in the passing game. I saw more, you know, outlet routes. I saw more uh, or just better decision making from James because it's it's a two way it's a two way thing. You know, it's play calling and decision making. Um, so if they can take that momentum into 2018 and and maybe add some more talent on, along the front line, um, figure out the running game if you know whoever they're going to run with and get some consistency there, get these defensive guys healthy and get them back on the field and, and add some more depth to them. You know, if if it's not Bradley Chubb, I'm officially checking my uh, my ballot for Mika Fitzpatrick. Hopefully, if, he, if he's there, I would not be upset about that. But we've got a long way between now and and uh, and the draft. We've got the Senior Bowl, the Scouting Combine, a scandal or two, a failed drug test or two, and uh, an Instagram some domestic violence accusation or two. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between now and the draft. So. Don't forget Bradley some sort Chubb, of meaningless I mean, injury doing something just yeah, goofy. I mean, yeah, Sidney Jones. I, I heard he made his debut today, so hopefully he has a great career ahead of him. He did. He uh, did. A huge talent, you know, to see he suffer like that. But I mean, by the end of this, like by the end of this, there are examples in history. Bradley Chubb could be a late first round pick by the time this is all said. I mean, when we were at this point last season, Dalvin Cook was a top five pick. Lock it down. Right. right. And then by the time we actually got to draft day, he's a second round pick to the Minnesota Vikings. So Bradley Chubb is is great right now, but y'all, you guys might not even remember his name come draft day. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be fine. Number five to number seven is not that huge of a difference. And uh, I would much rather the team show some fight and some promise in their current configuration and go two picks later than uh, completely fall, have the floor fall out from underneath them and completely crap out and pick number number five or number four. So, uh, yeah, just, just good stuff. So since you, since you are such a traditional person, what's your new year's resolution? Um, I don't really have one. Wow. So you eat cabbage rolls, but you don't make new year's resolutions. Yeah, pretty much. Not very consistent. You're the Jameis Winston of new year's resolutions or new year's traditions. Yeah. Well, it happens. I just love cabbage rolls. Sweet. I'm just I'm, either, so I'm more I'm more shocked that you hadn't even heard of what a cabbage roll was than anything. Definitely not. So, all right. Well, anything that has cabbage. David, we're gonna we're gonna close this out with a with a couple of questions. Uh, I'll ask you, and then I'll go ahead and and answer after I ask you. The first one is. What New Year's Day bowl game are you the most looking forward to? I honestly haven't even game planned my New Year's yet. 
All right, I'll I'll give you the big ones. Tell me which one you're you're most looking forward to. You got the Peach Bowl, Auburn versus UCF. You have the Rose Bowl, Oklahoma and Georgia, or you got the Sugar Bowl with Clemson and Bama. Um, Clemson and Bama. That's the one of the three that I'm probably not even going to watch. Not that I yeah. don't want to, but I'm not. Staying up to watch a game that at eight forty five when I have to be up so early for work. Oh, is that what time it's on? Yeah, no, I'm definitely not watching that. I'm not gonna lie, most of my college football watching I do on YouTube. Like I don't actually watch a whole lot of college football live because um when I watch college football, I'm also trying to like evaluate things in my rudimentary way. So I like to pause, rewind, pause, rewind, go back, you know, all that stuff. Right. Uh so I usually I throw it up on my iPad. Or well, I have a download program on my iPad, so I download it to my iPad. So I watch it as one continuous file, and I can rewind it. And I have buttons and stuff, and it's not quite like what they have in the film room or anything, but it, you know, it works. It gets the job done. So I don't really watch a lot of bowl games live. Um, I'm actually going to watch Ohio State's bowl game tomorrow because I haven't watched it yet. Of course you are. Yeah, well, they're the best team in the country. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll go ahead and answer my own question. I'm most looking forward to watching the Peach Bowl. I want to see how UCF, undefeated UCF, stacks up against Auburn. I think Auburn wins handily, but, I mean, UCF surprised a lot of people this season. There's no reason they can't do it one more time. And the final question before we get out of here, David, uh, Super Bowl prediction. Who's winning uh, against who? Um, if Antonio Brown comes back, right? So that's the caveat. Antonio Brown has to come back. I believe he if is Antonio Brown. Back. Yeah, I, I don't see why he wouldn't. But if Antonio Brown comes back, then uh, Pittsburgh and uh, Minnesota and Minnesota wins. Wow, your Case Keenum, Super Case. Bowl MVP, three touchdown passes against the Steelers defense. And then he's going to get overpaid a lot by somebody. By the Browns. By the Browns. Maybe. Just say it. By the Browns. I like Case Keenum. So I don't. Maybe the Tennessee Titans trade Marcus Mariota to the Chicago Bears for Kevin White and a Big Mac and sign Case Keenum. No. 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 Just no. Just I hope I it. never need a job with the Tennessee Titans. Oh, uh, you won't get one. I can promise you that. I would. You wouldn't. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take the New England Patriots over the New Orleans Saints. I don't think head-to-head Minnesota has the offense to defeat the New Orleans Saints. And I have absolutely zero faith in Pittsburgh being able to win a game at Gillette, not only like in the regular season, but especially in the playoffs. I don't think they could win a fourth preseason game in Gillette. Like the Patriots are in their heads. They have their number and James Harrison balled out today. And if the two of them meet, you know, he's going to be on a whole nother level. So Give me the Patriots to defeat an NFC South representative for the second season in a row. But the caveat of that one is they're not going down 28 to three to the New Orleans Saints. (laughs) All I'm saying. Mm. 
That's fine. Because next season is going to be Buccaneers over the Jets. Tim Tebow's comeback with the Jets will fall flat in the Super Bowl, and the Buccaneers will win. You know Allen doesn't listen to this podcast, right? I don't care. I still want to do it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to do it for us on this New Year's Day 2017 Tampa Bay Buccaneers finale recap episode. We hope you all have a wonderful and enjoyable and safe and fun New Year's Day doing whatever it is that your tradition is. Mine is shoveling, piping hot cabbage rolls down my gullet as fast as possible. Because the faster you eat, the more you get before your stomach says, hey, knock it off. That's the key. That's a fair assessment. Hashtag heartburn. Mm-hmm. All right. For David Harrison, I am James Yarko. And thanks to each and every one of you for joining us here at Locked on Bucks.